This is Riley's first time preaching with us at One Hope. That's yeah. what I She oversees our discipleship ministry and is just such a blessing to us. So can I pray for you? Yes, you that'd be great. Thank you, Father, for Riley. Uh, thank you for all the work you've done in and through her over the years, Jesus. I pray, Father, that as she brings your word, your spirit would work in and through her, and we would be ready to hear and to obey your good word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Well, it's kind of loud, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so as, uh, as Bates said, that my name is Riley, and uh, I'm married to Stefan. And if you haven't met, we have a uh, quite amazing and um, active little three-year-old named Annie. And, uh, and we love being part of One Hope. It has just been a, an incredible blessing to us as a family over the last few years. And so it's, it's a real privilege for me to get a chance to share with you and, um, yeah, to just to share with God what God has been teaching me. Um, and... Uh, you know, I've found this season to be, to be quite a hard season. I don't know about, about you guys, but uh, we found ourselves really in, a, in, in quite a unique time in history, okay? Um, I don't re- ta- really recall a time in my life uh, that we have ever been faced as a corporate society with, with the reality of death and sickness, uh, our own frailty has brought, been brought um, to, to really focus. And, uh, but it's not just our health. A lot of us have been, been impacted financially and our work has been um, shaken, right? And so um, many times without knowing, we, we can look to, to these things, to work, to our health, um, as things that we hold on to, the things that we put our trust in, the put things that we find life in. And, and it's times like now that, that God uses to shake those out sometimes. And maybe it's not your finances or your health. Maybe you're a student and you're trying to figure out how to do studies in, in such a different way or our social, the way that we socialize has been changed. And so many of us have found ourselves in a, in a time of shaking and although this has been a hard time, it's also given us a, a, a chance to really, to really look at what, what is it in our lives that are unshakable? What is it, those things that, that we can hold on to that no matter our circumstances won't change? And so I think that today we're going to look at a story from the, from the Gospel of John that I think can help us find those things, um, find things that are true and that are unshakable. And so we're going to look at uh, John 11, 1 through 44. So it's a really long chunk of scripture, um, but I really think that we need to read all of it to kind of understand really what's going on. Okay, so if you have your Bible, we're in John 11, uh, and it should be, yes, up on your screen as well. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who, was, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha 
and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now I know that whatever, um, I lost my place. Uh, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come, in, come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have, who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will, there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around 
that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So there's a lot in this text and I'm not going to cover it. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep you here for an hour. But, uh, but I, think that there's, uh, I think there's a lot that God can speak to us in our hearts in this season. And the raising of Lazarus from the dead is, is the, seventh sign, the seventh of what um, is called the seven signs in John. So John chose seven miracles or signs um, to highlight in his gospel. And he records these signs to strengthen our faith. Each sign is designed to reveal more of who Jesus is. And our series is called Jesus in Real Life. And I want to point out three observations of how Jesus loves us in real life. Because let's be honest, life is gritty, it's hard, it's, it's not all nice. You know, this, this passage deals with sorrow and it deals with confusion and grief. And those are things that we really experience often. And that, to be honest, we don't always know what to do with. And so I want to point out three observations of how Jesus loves us. And then I want to take a look at, at what the sign is actually pointing to. Okay, so three observations and then a main point. Okay, so the first observation, Jesus shows his love through, us, his love through delay. As we are introduced to this family in the first few verses, John wants to see that there's a real affection between them, that there's a real love and care between Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. A few months ago, Kate introduced us to part of this family. And so we know Jesus has a history with them. We know that there's real affection between them. And, we, and we, even in that interaction, we saw Jesus' love and his care and here in these first few verses, John makes a point to emphasize this, right? So the fact that the sisters were even sending the message shows a close relationship, right? They even describe their brother as, as the one that you love. And they clearly knew that Jesus would want to know about, Jesus, uh, uh, about Lazarus' sickness, right? And they knew that he, he could help him and that he could heal them him. And I, and I have a, a feeling that they were hoping that he would, that he would intervene. You know, why else would they send this message? And in verse 5, John plainly says Jesus loved them, right? Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so with the fact of Jesus' love and affection established, verse 6 comes as a bit of a surprise, all right, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You know, what I expect to read is, now Jesus loved them, so he rushed to them. And possibly even Jesus loved them, and so, or Jesus loved them, but uh, he, there's some things and he couldn't make it quite yet. But that's not what the text says. 
right? He, he stayed two days. And, so, and there's something in it that, that doesn't make sense to me, that he waited. And what the text is telling us that the two-day delay was actually motivated by his love. He loved them, therefore he delayed. And how can this be, right? On the surface, it actually seems quite like a, quite an unloving thing. Wouldn't you think that he'd want to come and relieve their pain? And can you imagine the sisters waiting and wondering, when is he going to arrive? Is he going to arrive in time? But when, what we start to see hints of in these first 16 verses, and that's unpacked in the rest of the chapter, is that Jesus is less concerned with changing the circumstances that are causing their grief and pain. And he's more concerned about displaying God's glory and the belief of those that love him and that he loves. Right? In verse 4, we see Jesus' initial response. This, de- de- excuse me, this illness does not lead to death. At least, ultimately, it won't, Right? But it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What we need to understand about this is that that Jesus wants those that he loves to see the power of God. He sees this as an opportunity to reveal himself to them. And why is that so important? Why is this good for them and why is this good for us? In verse 15, we see the answer. He's talking to his disciples, but, but I really think that it applies to all involved. And it says, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So Jesus' desire is that those around him might see more clearly who he is so that they might believe. Jesus knows that what they need most isn't relief from their grief and their pain, although he is going to relieve it. What they need most is to see him and respond to him. And isn't it true that that is what we need most? Right? Now, I don't mean to say that that Jesus is... It doesn't care about our feelings and the things that we go through. He's not callous. And we're going to actually see that, that, that later in the story that he actually moves into the hard places in our lives. But I, what I am saying is that Jesus' concern is far larger and better for us. And so he's willing to allow hardship. He's willing to allow suffering in our life that we might see his glory and our life be changed by it. So I know this isn't an easy thing and I know there's probably those among us that are finding themselves in a season of God's delay, what seems like Jesus' delay. But we must trust that there is no sorrow sickness or death that God does not permit for a reason. Jesus has this perspective that we lack, right? So I've learned a lot about God's love for me through parenting, and this is actually one of those. I don't know if any of you have been around three-year-olds, but when they want something, 
They want it now. And we have learned that Annie has gotten a good dose of stubbornness from both sides. And so that she really can dig in. But what I've learned is that as her parent, I have the ability to know the circumstances and to know what's going to be better for her or what is going to be worth waiting for, right? Now, it's a bit of a trivial example, but I think it, it, it illustrates this point that the God of the universe, the one that knows all, knows best. And so the question we, were asked, we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to trust Jesus' love as we wait in the delay? So, excuse me, I'm just going to move this, Bates. It's, I, I'm like, I've got this fear I'm going to fall over it. <laughs> so, so that brings me to observation number two. Jesus shows his love by enlarging their hope. Right? So, the, so by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Right? The timing isn't isn't an accident. After four days, there's no doubt that Lazarus is dead. There's no mistaking it. They haven't put him in the grave accidentally. There's no way. The, the situation is, is hopeless at this point. But it also allows for a crowd of mourners to gather and to be witnesses to what Jesus is about to do. And so Martha runs out to, to meet him and she breaks down in a mixture of, of grief probably disappointment and belief. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus responds with such a simple statement, right? He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha misunderstands the statement, and she responds with, you know, a perfectly orthodox answer. She, she understands Jesus' words to be an affirmation of, of, of the Jewish hope of the resurrection. She knows that in the last days there will be a resurrection, and she knows that this life is not all there is. But with Jesus' next word, he is inviting her to re- radically reshape her hope. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus is expanding her hope from an abstract belief in something that's going to happen in the future to a personal hope in the here and now through him. He doesn't say, I can resurrect people and I have life. He says, I am resurrection and I am life, right? Our hope, friends, is not in an event that's going to happen in the future. Our hope is in a person, the person of Jesus. And nothing can hinder him from giving life because he is life. To believe in Jesus is to live Life in, in, in the fullest sense in the Bible, in the, and particularly in how it's, it's, it is here in John, it doesn't see, simply mean just to exist and to kind of go through life and go through the motions. It conta- conveys fullness of life, right? The life for which we were made for. 
and which we can experience in Christ. And he finishes off with the invitation to Martha. Do you believe this? This is a life-changing question. And Martha gives a beautiful confession of faith. We'll see later that she doesn't quite fully grasp what's going to happen. Observation number three, right? Jesus shows his love through a display of emotion. Jesus shows his love through a display of emotion, right? So then Jesus asks for, for a meeting with Mary, and Mary immediately rushes to Jesus and falls at his feet, and she says basically the same thing as Martha. And you can imagine the sisters have talked about this, right? After Lazarus' de- death, they were, they were together for four days before Jesus arrived, and they've probably talked about it and said, oh, gosh, if only Jesus had been here. It is here that we see that although Jesus' delay was motivated by love, it's not done callously or with no concern for his friend's pain. Upon seeing Mary weeping, it says Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled. And a few verses later at the tomb, Jesus actually weeps. And yet again in verse 38, Jesus was deeply moved again. So this is raises the question, why? Why was he so moved? Why did he weep? He knew what he was about to do. He was about to to be reunited with his friend. He was about to, he knew that Mary and Martha would see their brother again. And to more fully understand this, I think that that we need to understand that the phrase deeply moved and and in spirit and troubled carries the connotations of being moved by sorrow intermixed with anger. And so I want to talk about both of those. First here we see an example of what Christians are commanded to do in Romans 12, 15. Weep with those who weep. Jesus identifies with the sister's pain and loss. Though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus wept when he saw the tears of Mary and her companions. This is Jesus truly being human. And Jesus meets us today in the same way. He doesn't stand at a distance waiting for us to pull ourselves together so we can have faith. But instead, he meets us in our grief and he meets us in the longings that we have, that life, we wish life had been different. This is Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us. He knows what it's like to suffer and he comes to us in our suffering. And Jesus also is experiencing anger. Why is that? What is he angry at? Well, theologian B.B. Warfield puts it better than I can and he says, the distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. In Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the whole race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. 
It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death. So Jesus feels the weight of the fall here. Sin and death entered the world when humanity chose to rebel against God's goodness. This is not the way that things were supposed to be. And his tears are those of of one that was at creation. And he's grieving the intrusion of sin and death into the goodness and beauty of the initial creation, of the original creation. And so Jesus shows his love by this display of emotion. He helps us see that whatever it means to be perfectly human, it does not mean an absence of emotion. And this is vital for us to understand. You know, I I can often get the idea in my head that Jesus was without feeling. But the scriptures couldn't be more clear that he was a man who feels deeply. And this can change the way that we interact with him. It brings an intimacy with Jesus that we didn't know possible. And it helps us and it reminds us that we're not called to be stoics with, um, without emotion and we're not called as believers to only have, you know, those, what we label as those good feelings, cheerful and, and, and happy that God has made us to have a full range of emotion and that he uses that and he uses us through that because Jesus wasn't one that only showed this happiness and cheerfulness. Now we're called to be like Jesus, to weep with those that weep, to be angry and saddened by the sin and death that surrounds us. But we do this as ones that have hope. Right? And this hope is confirmed through what happens next. Jesus asks for the stone to be moved. He prays, basically saying, thank you, Father. I trust that you've heard me. And I'm praying so that those around me would believe that you sent me. And cries out for Lazarus to come out, even in his prayer... Even in this prayer, we see that Jesus' concern is that those around him might believe. We see in full display in the raising of Lazarus, Jesus' authority over death and that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that, this truth, is the one that anchors our to hope. So those are our three observations I wanted to make, right? And so let's move on to the main point. So I mentioned at the beginning that we need to find truths that we can hold on to, things that are unshakable. And for me to see how Jesus loves us, particularly in those hard, difficult times, are those posts that don't move, are the things that I can hold on to and I can trust won't shake And they're great helps to us. But Jesus offers us so much more through this story. He offers a completely new foundation that cannot be rattled or shaken. 
As I said earlier, this was the seventh and final sign in the book of John. Now, the thing about signs, right, is that they're pointing to something. You never look at a sign and say, oh, how beautiful the sign, how wonderful the sign. Because if you do that, you kind of miss whatever is amazing and spectacular that it's pointing to. And so if we read this and all we say is, wow, Jesus can resuscitate people from the dead, which is amazing, we've missed the point. So what is this sign pointing to? It points to the ultimate way Jesus shows his love. And that is by defeating death through his death and resurrection. This miracle is just a precursor of what is to come. This is the first blow to death. Death represents all that is wrong in this world. Sin, decay, and sickness. Up to this point, death has always had the last word. In verse 44, we see Lazarus emerge from the tomb, and 10 chapters later, we see another resurrection, a resurrection that changes life as we know it, the resurrection that changes the world. God the Father has sent Jesus to deal the final knockout blow to our enemy death and to right all that is wrong in this world. And because what he has done, because of what he has done, Jesus also shows his love to us by extending to us and offering us eternal life. Right? What physically happened to Lazarus is now on offer to us spiritually. Right? Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our sins. And because of God's love, he made us alive in Christ. Before we trust in Christ, we are spiritually dead. Let's make, so, you know, sometimes I think we like to soften it. But the reality is, is that we were dead. There was no hope. It, the, the situation was hopeless. But the moment I believe my spirit has come alive, right? It comes out of the tomb. I have a new intimate relationship with God. I know his fatherly love and I know the love of Jesus, his son. I have a new love relationship with God, a relationship with what, that death cannot touch. And this is what Jesus meant in verse 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Right? When, when I die, I go to be with God and I await the resurrection of my body. For the Christian, death is simply just a transition. The transition from one stage of life with God to another stage. Therefore, we'll never die in an ultimate sense because we'll never be separated from the life and love of God. And this truth, this enlarged hope that God offers now, today it frees me to live life without fear of death or of anything else. And so how do we respond to this? Well, I think it's, it's to answer the question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe? Because if you do, your eternal destiny is changed forever. 
And your life here and now can be characterized by freedom and hope. So if you're here today and and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're checking out Alpha, maybe you have a friend that invited you or tricked you into coming, (laughs) I want to invite you to consider this. Do you believe that Jesus loves you and wants to offer you life? He has come and lived the life you are unable to live. He's died the death that you were meant to die and has risen triumphantly over sin and death, all so that you can live fully and freely in him. So if you would say yes, you believe this, I'd encourage you to tell someone. Tell a friend. Tell someone here at One Hope. We would love to help you and celebrate this with you because this is life-altering. And if you would consider yourself a Christian, I think we also need to answer this question of do you believe this? So often we relegate this question to those that have never believed. And it's true, it is the question that if we answer in the um, affirmative, begins our relationship with Christ. But personally, I need to ask myself this question over and over again. Not because I need to be saved again, but because there is something about this world that wants to sway my heart away from finding true life in Christ. Right, this, this came, became very apparent to me last year, last year in about April. Um, the company that CFN works for uh, was about to go under. In fact, we, there, we didn't really think that there was too much hope. And, and I just found myself so angry, angry with God, angry that he would pull the rug out from under us right? I found myself anxious, not being able to sleep. How are we going to, you know, thinking about how we were going to pay bills and all these things. And God in his kindness used that shaking to shake loose and to reveal my heart to me. Because what I was finding life in, I was finding life in our bank account. And I was finding life in the security that Stephen's job brought me. And as I, as I realized that, and as I repented, and I asked Lord to, to f- give me a fresh understanding, I slowly saw my hands open up and my heart turn back to the one that does give true life. And so what are you finding life in? Is it a relationship? Is it your kids' success? Do you obsess over them going to the right school and having the best of everything? Is it your future? I've worked with a lot of students, and this is the one that often can capture students, right? They're so focused on doing the right things and, and making the right decisions so they can set themselves up for success, right? Set themselves up to the the 10-year plan that they have, that it hinders them 
It hinders them from living fully for what God has for them. What keeps you up at night with anxiety, worry, and fear? That will often reveal where you're finding life. And the thing about it is that we won't find life in those things. What we're going to find is death. Right? Those are not bad things. None of those things are bad things. But they're never going to satisfy. They're never going to be quite right. We're going to find ourselves, instead of living, living freely and living in hope and being, being available for what God wants for us, we're going to find ourselves trapped, constantly trying to, to, to manage the situation, constantly trying to make sure that everything stays in place. And we're never going to live the life that God has for us. They will trap us in fear and anxiety. So true life and security is found in Christ alone. He is the only one that is unshakable and unmoving. So friends, I I encourage you to, to examine your heart. Ask God to reveal those things that that have a grip on you. What are you putting your hope in over and over again? We need to ask the question, do I believe this? And when God does reveal things, the thing about it is we, we can't do it ourselves, right? Lazarus couldn't raise himself from the dead. And even when he found the remnants of death around him, Jesus said to others, go, help him. We need to be in community to help us rid us of these, the, the, the remnants of death that we find ourselves surrounded in. And turn, turn and look back at what God has done. Turn and look back at the beautiful display of the gospel. Because that is where power is found to break the things that hold us and to break the things that we're looking to for for our hope. So I just want to close today by praying for us. Okay? Lord, we thank you that you are life. God, we thank you that our hope is not only in something in the future, it's not something um, that we have to wait for, Lord, that you offer life now. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us those places that we're looking for life apart from you. Lord, reveal the ways that they're, they're destroying us and give us the power to turn back. Move our hearts back to you, Father, that we would find true life in you. Thank you, Father, that you have gone to such great lengths to care for us, to love us, and to free us. And thank you for your word that you, you use it as a way to, to reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.